Let's continue worship with a reading from Genesis 2. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature that was its name, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church. Please say hello to someone as you have a seat. Hey, how about it? Well, good job coming to church on a beautiful morning. I would have struggled, I'll be honest. Uh, But I'm glad you're with us. If you're a guest, welcome. Today we start a conversation. And it really will just be a start, just an intro of sorts, um, to a topic that I hope you will see um, as very relevant to you, no matter what stage of life you happen to be in. Uh, This conversation is a long time coming. Um, It's been on the docket for over a year. Um, And I need to say from the beginning about this entire topic that if I say anything that even smells like wisdom, I got it from Tim Keller's sermons and books. Um, (laughs) Most of my points and, and thinking I've gotten from him about this topic um, if I say anything that, that smells smart, it's, it's his. I'm not that smart, but I listen when smart people talk. Um, so if it sounds smart, it's probably his. Uh, but I think you'll be deeply encouraged um, by the content that we're going to go through. And we are starting a conversation on marriage. Didn't see that one coming, did you? Uh, what does the Bible have to say about this relationship? Um, which for many of us is a huge part of our lives. But of course, we need to acknowledge that everyone's not married in here. So how is this relevant for everyone, no matter what stage of life you're in? Uh, Maybe you've never been married. Maybe you've been married and divorced. So why show up? You could go fishing on beautiful mornings like this. Um, Well, number one, I'd imagine, even if you're not married, uh, you might want to get married one day or remarried. Um, And if you're a young person, um, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, What is it? Hey, what should you really expect from it? What does the Bible seem to think is right to expect from it? You need a biblical framework to help you understand what is this thing called marriage or how will you ever know what you're getting yourself into? Secondly, um, if you're divorced and say it didn't work last time or maybe some of us, many of us are married right now and it seems like it's not working now. Well, wouldn't it be helpful to identify some of the main things that may be causing strife and conflict? Y'all, the Bible is a piercingly revealing book. And what if right now the Bible has wisdom just sitting there that could fundamentally change how you think about marriage and your quality of the marriage that you find yourself in? What if for God's glory and your good, right? So we dig into things like this, um, not because we think it might be relevant or irrelevant. We dig into things like this because it's in God's word. How do you know, oh man, what's relevant to you? If you just pick the things that you think are relevant, you will become an authority over the word and you will miss out on what scripture has to say about things that you may not think is relevant to you. We wrestle with the word like a mountain climber climbs a mountain because it's there. (laughs) It's there. And so we deal with it. And sure enough, when we read the Bible, we find it has a lot to say, like a lot to say about this particular relationship, y'all. 
really all relationships, married or not, there's gonna be a lot here for you, but the Bible has a lot to say about this relationship between husband and wife. In fact, the way the Bible talks about it, it talks about it as if that relationship between your husband, between husband and wife is tied in to the very fabric of creation. That's what we read. It's given priority in scripture, y'all. And of course, not just in scripture, the survival of the human race sits upon the relationship between man and woman, right? Like if that really, I mean, theoretically, if that relationship breaks down, in theory, we would cease to exist. Procreation wouldn't happen. Now, I know, I know you're thinking, oh, we can inseminate women. Okay, it's not my interest. By design, the relationship between man and woman is fundamental to the flourishing of the human race. Fundamental. Across all time, across all space, in every society, in all ages, if that breaks down, the community breaks down. It's true universally, it's true out there, it's true in history, and it's true in this community. In this room, married people, you need to look right at me. Your marriage is fundamental to this church, to these people right now, to the effectiveness of our ability. If you are married in this room, you need to understand that your relationship with your spouse is not worked out in a vacuum. And the health and success of that relationship, y'all, that relationship has real ramifications in the community that you are a part of. This community, by, which, by, uh, by the way, which claims to represent the creator of the universe. And the dynamics of that relationship has ramifications not just for you, not just for those in your household, but has the potential to impact the community around you in profound ways. Now, obviously, we know that's true for children, don't we? But it's deeper than that, y'all. It's broader than that. As a Christian, your marriage matters in much more profound and eternal ways. And of course, guys, take away eternal for a second, and you don't need the Bible to tell you that, okay? You don't need the Bible to teach you that the marriage relationship is fundamental for any society, any community. You can find study after study of the disadvantages of children growing up in single-parent households. Sociologists have been saying this for years, decades, like, I mean, this is not new. The relationship between husband and wife, fundamental to the fabric of every society. If it breaks down, the society breaks down. And that's not Bible, that's just sociology, all right? So we can find all sorts of things telling us, but I'm trying to tell you, it's not just your kids that this relationship impacts. Think, impacts, uh, you know, your marriage. Think about it this way. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about humanity as a fleet of ships, you with me? You see a ship, see a fleet of ships, see him on the ocean, okay? So he says, he has this analogy about humanity. He says, um, historically, humanity has been able to agree upon the common horizon of morality. Like think like this, murder is wrong, okay? Throughout history, throughout most societies and culture, right, let's like Lord of the Flies, right? Uh, murder's wrong, okay? Uh, we across all societies agree on things like cowardice is wrong, bats, backstabbing, cheating, selfishness, right? For the most part, except today, where we uphold selfishness and exalt it. Um, moral relativity wants to blow that to the smithereens, right? But that's a different sermon. Generally speaking, humanity has agreed on a common horizon and the fleet of humanity is sailing towards that, okay? Don't murder, don't let that now. Uh, however, what Lewis says is it's no good 
if we agree upon a common horizon but aren't doing the needed maintenance to our ships to get there? What good is a common horizon if you're not, uh, you know, swabbing the, I don't know how what ships do, I don't know, swab the decks, what do you do, mask the thing, mend the mask, maybe you do that, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I've been on a I can boat, I can ski, that's all I, if you're not doing the unseen work of the ship, then the vessel itself becomes unseaworthy. You, you tracking with me? So he's using that for morality and humanity. He says, it doesn't matter if we can agree upon it. If we're not maintaining the internal spirituality of our own life, we're going to crash into someone. Even if we all agree that you shouldn't crash into someone. So marriage is the same thing, y'all. Right now, this church, um, if you're not doing the unseen work in marriage, it's things like communication, talking about expectation, right? Resolve, how to resolve conflict. If you're not doing that unseen work, you're gonna crash into someone else and everyone's gonna have splinters and the whole community suffers. If you've ever been in a community that's, that's had to go through a serious case of adultery, you know what I'm talking about. It affects the whole community, y'all. To, to know that infidelity is wrong is one thing. To control yourself is another. And what I'm trying to tell you is that has ramifications, not just for you, but for the entire community. If the ship's not seaworthy, you're going to crash into someone, right? Um, Addressing the leaks, the rot, right? The dysfunction, uh, the boat's going to sink. Yeah, so, sorry, let me get back on my notes. We have today such a ridiculously personal internal understanding of spirituality and morality that it creates, y'all, a naive ignorance when it comes to acknowledging how your life affects others. You understand what I just said? It's so internal to us. We think spirituality is this internal, isolated thing that affects nobody. That's a lie. Your life and marriage affects the community that you find yourself in. Um, It's absolute nonsense to think that you can do whatever you want and it doesn't affect anyone. This is why, y'all, we talk about uh, community here very often, right? Uh, We say that uh, you can't live out your Christian life in isolation because half of the Christian life is due unto others. And if you're in isolation, you can't live it out. Y'all, your spirituality drastically impacts those around you, right? And if you're not tending to it, especially the marriage relationship, um, it's this bond, y'all. This relationship between husband and wife will dictate our ability as a community to move out into the world in impact and strength. It's that fundamental. At least I'm trying to convince you it is. Uh, This community, us, we've been tasked to take the good news of the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Is that fair to say as a church? That's their job? Okay, well, no matter how good I articulate that, no matter how inspiring I can be or how many call to actions I can give, it's a fool's errand if your marriage is falling apart. It's like trying to fight a war with a freshly broken arm and leg. Like, so let's just say I get you and I'm like, snap, snap, blah, broken arm and leg. And then I'm like, okay, buddy, now get out there and find victory in Jesus, right? Preach the gospel. And meanwhile, you're like on the floor, passed out from pain, right? If your marriage is broken, We're not going to stand a chance at impacting the community. It's utter nonsense, y'all, to expect the gospel of grace and power to flow through us to others when it's log jammed in our own house. When it hasn't touched the most intimate relationship in which we actually live, whether it's marriage or roommate or whatever, y'all. One of the reasons, y'all, we emphasize community is because it's impossible to live out the Christian life in isolation, right? And if marriage is the most intimate, most personal relationship there is, and if we aren't walking it out there, then we're tremendous hypocrites. 
Welcome to church, right? You'll fit right in. I remember hearing a story about an African mega church pastor. His wife came to him one day and, and she said, I want to sell our house and I want to move into the church. And he was like, what are you talking about? And she said, in fact, I want to move up on the stage. In fact, I would like to live inside your pulpit because the guy on the stage is different from the guy I live with at home. Talk about a wake-up call, right? But the, and you know the one, right? The larger point is that our personal relationships, y'all, they impact others. One of the elements we have to sit with when we think about marriage is the mission of marriage laid out in Scripture. It has a purpose. God created it with intent. It's supposed to do something in you, duh, but in those around you. Your marriage doesn't exist just for you, brother. Your marriage does not exist just for you, sister. What is the mission of marriage? It has a biblical mission, y'all. And if you don't think your marriage is supposed to impact the world around you, you're missing one of the key elements of marriage in the Bible. Keller says, if our marriages are strong, listen, listen. If our marriages are strong, we move out into the world in strength, no matter how much opposition and difficulty may hit us in the world. If our marriages are weak, conversely, we move out into the world in weakness, no matter how much strength or power or wealth we may seem to have in society. And it's true, y'all. It's deeply, profoundly true. It's part of the power of the marriage relationship we see in Scripture. Dude, it can make or break you as a person. Can it not? Yes, it can. All relationships impact us, don't they? Of course they do. But this one, marriage, it's unique in power. It's different in significance in how it changes you and molds you, which is another thing we have to sit with, which is the power of marriage. The Bible says that marriage is this exclusive covenantal relationship between a man and a woman, and it has deep and inherent power. Y'all, this relationship between husband and wife, over and above every other relationship, relationship with your parents, relationship with your friends, has the power to rewire your very perspective of yourself. And if you've been in a broken marriage, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It doesn't, how many, it doesn't matter how many people tell you you're awesome. If your wife tells you you're worthless, you think you're worthless. It doesn't, how, it doesn't matter how many people say you're successful at work. If your husband says you're a loser, you think you're a loser. This relationship between a husband and a wife has profound power in, this, in the ability to psychologically rewire how we even perceive ourselves. This relationship has the power to outshadow and outshine every past verdict that's been passed on you as a human. Do you understand what I'm saying? This relationship between husband and wife has so much power that it can overshadow every verdict that's been passed on you in the past. That's the kind of power we see. It's, it's, it's tremendous power. And if you've ever been to a marriage that I officiate, I say this all the time. And you know who I challenge particularly in this? I challenge the bride. And I say, you know, it's probably going to be easy to become an expert in his flaws. But I challenge you to become an expert in his strengths. Every wedding I do, I challenge the bride this. I say, you, sister, figure out what this loser's good at. And then blow on those embers until it's a roaring flame. Because you will never know, sister, the power that your words have over your man. That's the kind of power we see in the marriage relationship. I'm giving you a general roadmap of things we're going to have to come back to and explore deeper. Marriage has mission. Marriage has power. I mean, there is a deep unity in marriage that is unlike any other relationship. The Bible presents an intimacy 
and a togetherness that happens in marriage that does not happen in any other relationship. So there's mission, there's power, there's unity. But there's also, just we have to stand back and say, what's the essence of the thing? What is it exactly? What's the substance of it? What's it supposed to rest on? What makes that relationship sing? Like we talked about last week. And, and why is it across genders? We've got to deal with it, y'all. What can the relationship between a male and a female do that a same-sex relationship can't do? Other than like, duh, procreate, right? But what I'm going to show you is that there's more than just biological things happening in marriage, okay? It's one facet of it. There's more than that, okay? And then in this day, we have to answer questions like, do we even need it? I mean, there's a strong sentiment today that cohabitation is the new thing and that marriage is an antiquated arrangement full of stereotyped gender roles and it smells of oppression and chauvinism. And it's just a piece of paper. And why do you need it? Do you need a piece of paper to say, I love you? What's the big deal? So in no particular order, there's the mission of marriage, the power of marriage, the unity of marriage, and the essence of marriage. And then, for lack of a better term, what I'll just call the secret of marriage, just to make it sound elusive and spicy. Um... All through Scripture, New and Old Testament, there is, if you remember from last week, the word meta. Remember that? If you are here last week? There is a meta-narrative going through all of Scripture about marriage. It's a meta-narrative. It goes from the beginning of the verse of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible. And the Bible is going to present a truth behind the truth. It's like a red thread that runs from cover to cover of the Bible, the whole time pointing to an underlying reality about what marriage is and what's it supposed to communicate to us. Essentially, that there's something about this particular relationship, all the good and the bad, the dynamics of this relationship is trying to communicate something to you else deeper about God. That might be, in my opinion, the most powerful, glorious, radically life-changing thing about the entire conversation. And to be honest, that one, the secret of marriages, is at the same time the most difficult for many of us for various reasons. It's the most difficult, and it's also the most powerful, in my opinion. What is the secret? Well, if I've learned anything from watching many TV series, you can't tell. You have to wait. So I'm not going to tell you. And I'm sure plenty of you could already guess it anyway. But anyway, today, all I, this is all I'm doing today is an introduction. All I really wanted to do is give you a reason to believe that your marriage matters. Eternally. Communally. Not just with your kids. Yes, with that, massively, of course. It doesn't just matter between you and, and your spouse. Of course it does matter that way, but it's significantly more valuable than just that. There's more weight on it, y'all, and there's more glory in it. Come on. We have, in my opinion, an extremely malnourished perspective of what marriage is supposed to be in the Christian life. In my opinion, we've pushed it to the side and we've let it fade in glory and impact because we've not sat with what the scripture actually says about how, it's how we're supposed to go about doing it. What is supposed to communicate to us at a deeper level. Y'all, your marriage is supposed to sing. Dude, your marriage is supposed to have a kind of glory to it, an essence, a draw, a magnetism, a deep and profound beauty. Are we settling? Are we gridlocked in our own childhoods? Are we, are we settling for our parents' definition or for a cultural definition of what your marriage is supposed to be? It is significantly, and if you're not married, I just want to say it's, it's worth significant deeper thought 
than probably how much you've given it, okay? And not only your thought, but it may be worth opening God's word and asking, what did he have in mind? If we believe he, in fact, is the author of life. If he's the engineer, how does he think it's supposed to work? Which, of course, is the goal of this whole conversation. If you don't care about what he says, you're probably not going to like the conversation. But at the beginning, we need to acknowledge the difficulty and complexity when it comes to that particular relationship. You ready for this? Because married or not, none of you has a blank slate when it comes to the idea of marriage. None of you has a blank slate when it comes to the idea of gender roles. None of you has a blank slate when it comes to the idea of family structures. What is a husband? You, all y'all just thought of something different. How should he act? You all just thought of something different. How should a wife act? Is there a biblical mandate for this, or is this, are these just culturally defined? All of us come to the word, you ready? Family with baggage. I just said family. Let me say, how about this? Mom and dad. We all just thought something different. Some of us just got warm and cuddly, and some of us just got on edge. None of us come to this with a blank slate, right? And this relationship between husband and wife, y'all, is the bedrock of any family, whether you want to admit it or not. If that relationship's good, trickles down. If it's bad, so we have our own parents' relationship in our mind that we're thinking of and have to, have to square with. We have all the family issues and history that you represent as an individual that we have to square with. And we think, well, my dad did this, and my mom acted this way, so there's that. And it's a formidable obstacle when it comes to looking at other perspectives of, of what it means to be a, a, a family or a husband or a wife. It's a formidable obstacle, your experience is, right? Uh, we think, well, that's just what men do. That's just how dads act. They, parents, they just fight and throw things and slash each other's tires. It's just normal, right? Maybe, right? Or maybe God has a better vision, right? And y'all, this topic requires tenderness and great patience to wade through because we are dealing with deep emotions. And we're dealing with deep convictions, unexamined as they may be, about what is normal in a family. And that's not, that's not the only difficulties and complexity with marriage. Mixed with that, so we have our own personal baggage, okay? Mixed with that and influencing you more than you can imagine is the age and society in which you live with its cultural definitions. So we have our family structure, how we saw mom and dad act, okay? And the family we find ourselves in. And then we have the culture we live in that's clouding up the waters for us. Those that grew up in a Latino house are going to think differently about mom and dad and parent-child relationship than those who grew up in an Asian house or an African house or a European context. Your culture, y'all, has in many ways handed you the definition of what a family is and what a mom is and what a dad is more than we care to admit, all right? Our culture has defined for you dads do this and moms do this and kids do this and no one wants to admit it. And everyone wants to act as if they've completely, totally made themselves what they are and they've come to their own unique perspectives. Dude, I love you. You're a product of your time. And so am I. You did not grow up in a vacuum. You were handed a definition of gender roles from your culture. 
which may or may not be biblical. Of course, today we're blowing them all up, right? And of course, you know, today what we're saying is gender doesn't matter. But dude, 50, 60 years ago, it was a drastically different uh, message coming from culture, right? A true man is a Marlboro man of the 50s, right? A cowboy man who eats meat. Or in the 90s, a true man is a businessman in a suit. Guys, these are definitions given to you that you grow up thinking, that's what I have to become if I'm going to be a man. Or femininity. I mean, the, the Disney movies have brainwashed us all that femininity means you're a helpless princess who needs to be rescued. Is that biblical? Listen, your society, the culture in which you live, the sentiments in which we find ourselves swimming around is like the Colorado River in your mind. It is gouging, carving out pathways of thinking of what it means to be male and female and how they relate to one another. And it's subtly defining romance for you. <laughs> it's subtly defining masculinity and femininity for you, whether you want to admit it or not. Even in our lifetime, fascinating about our society's skin cultural definition, America has shifted completely what it means to be male and female. Past 50, 60 years. If, I mean, if only we had something that wasn't a product of our time and culture that could help us think about these things. Hmm. But... For the most part, you and I are a product of the age in which we live. So someone could easily walk up to me and say, you're just a Christian because you grew up in the Bible Belt South. And I could easily say, you're just an atheist because you grew up in a pluralistic society that's deified self-expression and self-definition. Street goes both ways. But if the Bible is truly divine, if it's truly divine in origin, if it's truly God's word, not merely a product of one time and culture, but what I believe as a partnership between man and God with God's sovereign providence guiding the process, we should expect the Bible to never fully line up with any culture or society, but to confront that society in multiple ways. And that is exactly what we find in the Bible. Y'all, it confronted the society that it came from. Read the prophets. Hey, wake up for me. Real I know you zoned out. Wake back in. Read the prophets. All right, go read the prophets. It is a minority report it is accusational against the society from which it emerged, all right? Every society has been confounded and challenged by the Bible, ours included, right? And this is what I love about the Bible. If it is what it says it is, then we have a window into the mind of God himself, which anchors us in something more real, more wise, more transcendent than our own thinking and the society from which we live, right? These are some of the difficulties we have in a conversation on marriage. Welcome to the waters. Our own experience, our childhood definitions of, of parenthood and marriage, which requires tenderness and patience to wade through. And then our society's ideas and definitions, which requires clarity of mind and courage to see where God's word confronts what is normal for us. Right? So I'm not going to lie. This is going to get dicey. All right? I'm probably going to have to fall on some grenades. I'm probably going to have to walk several fine lines so that we can all hear what the Lord would have to say to us. So pray for me, all right? Uh, <laughs> but more than that, like I said, this is just an intro, all right? More than that, we're not even getting to the scripture today. I'm just setting us up, okay? More than that, pray for the marriages in this room. My prayer for every single marriage in this room, no matter what state they are in present day, or maybe you're not even married, you're about, you know, maybe you're gonna get married later, is that all of our relations, all of our marriages would sing. Pray for us, dude. 
pray that every marriage in this room begins to sing. That harmony begins to have its way and dissonance and tension and conflict begins to be broken off in the name of Jesus, right? Pray that over the next month, here it is, pray this, that the sleeping giants of sin and dysfunction in our relationships would be roused and slayed. And they are that. They are sleeping giants. We all have them. We have them personally and we have them in our marriage. We have them in, in areas in which we have defined normal We've defined things normal that are in fact sin. And God wants to rouse those sleeping giants. So we're praying, I'm praying, join me in praying for intimacy and oneness to be restored in every marriage represented in this room. And as we end, I just want to ask one more thing of you. And you can participate in this or not uh, if you want to. I mean, if you choose to participate in this, it will inform our discussion going forward. Um, or you can just do this personally. You can do it for yourself. Here's what it is. Now, there's cards on the floor under your seat, and there should be a pen in the seat back in front of you. And no one else needs to see this, and you don't have to participate in it. That's fine. Even if you don't do it with the card and give it to me, do it in your journal for your own good. Um, I want you, if you want to, to write down three words which sums up your frustrations with marriage. Now, I know... Some of us have someone sitting next to us. And there may, be, there may be a problem with this. Even if you don't give it in the offering baskets, which I'm going to ask you to do if you do it, which I think are in the back and in the sides. Um, even if you don't do that. But might it be a good exercise, like personally? If this relationship is as significant as I've just made it up to be, isn't it a good idea maybe to think about here are the three bottlenecks that I'm currently having in my marriage. Or, if you are not married, I want you to write down three anxieties about marriage. What are you nervous about? What about marriage just causes your heart to be like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Now, here's the deal. If you write three things down and give it to us, it will help us like talk about what's actually real in your life. So you can help if you want. If not, it's all good. It's all good. But if you want to do it, I would invite you to do it. It's going to help guide the conversation. Um, play your cards how you want, all right? Uh, but I'm just trying to talk about things that actually matter to you. Um, and so you can help me with that if you want. Um, so, guys, that's it. Great, huh? So quick, right? Let's get out of here. Let's go get, let's go get lunch. Let me pray for us real quick. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jesus, God, would you help us right now? As even today, we've probably stirred some sleeping giants. And God, it'd be, it'd be naive not to think that there's some discomfort in the room right now. Because we're talking about something that is so dear and near to us, so impactful, and so blatantly, obviously important that all of us are a bit kind of full of shame when we realize we've neglected this thing. Like there's so much power here. And here we find ourselves, many of us, in like just dysfunctional places. So God, would you just like grease the gears when it comes to us thinking about what it means to be married, what it means to be a husband or a wife. Would you right now, God, just begin to open us up, those of us who are married in this room, to having real and honest conversations with our spouse. 
Maybe today provokes something that we've not thought about for a while. And it might be worth a conversation after church. God, would you be in the midst of us? God, would you help us in humility to not um, just flare up in offense like we so easily do in marriages, in the marriage context when we start talking? God, would you help us shroud us with humility? God, and I just pray above all that you would cause the marriages in this room to begin to sing, Jesus. God, that every marriage in this room, God, that you would have your way, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done. God, and for those who are not married, I just ask that you would meet them as well. God, that you begin to give them realistic definitions of what it means to be married, that you'd cure us of our illusions, God. We, that our ideas would be founded in reality and founded in your word. Thank you, God, that you love us so much that you deal with us in very, very practical areas of life. We love you, God. And let me pray these things. Amen. Can I just say, uh, I am, we're about to come to the communion table like we always do, but I'm very excited about what I think God longs to do in this next season. I just want to encourage you, um, be consistent over the next month. Uh, don't miss, y'all, because every conversation is going to be connected to others. We're going to have a, a, a plurality of voices speaking about this topic from the pulpit. It's going to be a phenomenal time, so I highly encourage you to come. All right, let's come to the table, y'all. Right where you're sitting, let's do this.